My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame starting May 7th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody out there. Welcome to another episode of iHeart's Pretty Messed Up. Uh, I'm AJ McLean, joined by my beautiful co-host, Cheryl Burke, and my homie and other co-host, Renee Elizondo. Hey. Um, so hey. last week, we, we, we you know briefly talked about something, but we didn't actually really get into it, which is my Renee and I skills. took Cher Bear <laughs> to Sherwood Country Club Golf course that I am a uh, a uh, member at. It was her first time it's a fancy going out on a on a golf fancy. course, and I mean, look, it's one of the best country clubs I think out there, especially in Southern California. Um, it's so very swanky. Very. It swanky. is very Super. bougie, swanky. Yeah. Super swanky. I, for, first of all, fancy. I just want everyone to know Cheryl's <laughs> outfit was on. King Dude, point. Yeah, yeah. can I tell you guys, I have pictures still on my phone. I was going to send you because I know you go to bed early, AJ, but me and Renee are more on the same wavelength as it yeah. when it comes to going to bed late. I, I, don't. I had seven different choices for outfits. <laughs> I, I, I was going to borrow my husband's collared shirt because I didn't have a collared shirt. I noticed that I don't have collared shirts and I noticed I don't have what, black slacks or flats. Mm. Well, but I AJ, found it. who does that remind you of? Seven outfits to pick from? That would be me. Um, <laughs> like literally today. Today, this was the outfit I started in. No. Six outfits later, I'm back in the same outfit I started in for the show today. Oh my God. We would be a disaster getting ready if we were we to would. Like, we go would anywhere. We would miss every dinner date. We would miss everything. <laughs> like we'd be, we'd be, yeah. I, I teased AJ. I said, oh, look at you all dressed up like manly for the viking yeah oh is that what it is you've got a little okay but wait hold on back to my golfing skills thank god for matt not my husband but for matt what do you call them the um the guy that helped us our caddy yes he was so amazing he was so patient with me (laughs) 
He yeah. is my favorite. He's one of my favorite caddies, if not my favorite caddy out there. Um, but don't don't even you guys have to admit you didn't want me to play like really play because first of all aj was on a roll me and renee were in deep conversations so renee had a horrible game i um, was in i blame myself for that <laughs> no, i was just wanting story time every two seconds no i actually enjoyed it more getting to know you even better away Aww. from the podcast and 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 the other thing that i want to say is there is no way that your all your years of learning and body awareness and body mechanics didn't help you because when you knock the ball over the water, Dude, you have no idea have how no hard idea. that is. Yes. On the signature hole at Wait, Sherwood no. Country Club, where you were hitting from, the I, roughly from when I've measured it with my little viewfinder, it's roughly about 90, between 80 and 90 yards. You got it up in the air and you Dude. landed it on the fucking Over the water. After the third try, though, two, I had two balls Doesn't in the matter. water. No, Doesn't I know. Matter. Thank you. I think it's like, beginner's that's luck. amazing. Total beginner's luck. Well, um, but it, it's yeah, not because it was through honestly, the caddy, Matt. He helped me. He guided me. He did. And but you see, did too, he, Renee. No, let me tell you. This is my point. We've so taken other people out that have never golfed mm -hmm. and don't achieve that. It, it, it golf is all mechanics mm -hmm. well it's part mechanics but it's up here mm -hmm. right golf is mainly up here they say when you start golfing it's 80 percent physical 20 percent mental but as you get better and better in the game totally. it's like 20 percent physical and 80 percent mental so that. when you see a body of water in front of you, the first thing a golfer thinks, at least when you're learning, is how am I going to knock this over the water? You know what right. I mean? Same thing right, if right, there's right. water along the right or water along the left. Right. AJ will tell you. I yeah. have to All say, of us, a ahead. lot of the dancers, the professional dancers, as the male pros at least, they always compare, like Foxtrot or any ballroom dance, it has yeah. um, a lot of similarities to um, golfing. Like you're, this is why, like I tried to, now that I've actually done it, I think it, I would have been able to communicate that to you better, um, because I didn't really realize, like, okay, wait, so how does this work? How is the connection? The connection is because of you know how you have to stretch your uh, um, rib cage, right? Like from side to side, and you create yeah. that sway in yeah. like mm -hmm. Foxtrot. That's yeah. it is exactly like golf in that sense. Not the frame, not like that part, but it's the swing right. from side to side. No, I could definitely see it now. Like looking back on it, it's funny because Ava actually randomly like two nights ago asked if we could go back and watch all of my dances. Oh, um, <laughs> and I was like, sure. And so funny. it's just funny. Like watching the, both watching the Foxtrot and the waltz, mm -hmm. watching both of those. I was like, huh? I could see it now. I didn't see it then. I, I and you know, like, but yeah, you're actually yeah, right. Yeah. There is that yeah. feeling. And it the is. Other and, thing. You know, Jack out. Jack Osborne texts me. Our friend. He was on this yes. our podcast. He was our first guest, I think. Uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, he texts me and he goes, "My girlfriend wanted to see some of my dances and my daughter, and that's what they did last night too. Wow. Crazy. That's right. AJ, move forward. There you go. So the back end doesn't. So you're and, swallowing and your mic. There, there's another. There's another component to golf. And that is they, they say that whatever your issues in life are, they'll come out on the golf course. If you have if you have trouble letting go, which is the That's kiss great. of death in golf, 
right? Where you hit a bad shot and you're still mad at the last shot. There's a great golfer named Ben Hogan that used to say he visualized a, a brick wall following him around the golf course. Whatever happened in the last hole, he would say mm. it's ancient history, right? Mm. Because if you can't get past uh, anger for the last shot, you're going to hit another bad shot. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So whatever they say, they say you'll learn more in a round of golf with someone about them than, you know, a year. So what did you learn about me? Well, I got frustrated. I couldn't make it. Remember? No, but you you didn't though. Like you, you didn't get as frustrated as I thought you were going to get. That's what I was going to say. You actually eased into it, which is why you were able to hit that ball over the water. I, that's what I believe. Hmm. If you were as frustrated as you're making yourself sound, you would never have done that. But remember ever. when we got to the putting part of that same hole, um, I got really upset. I, but I, I also don't okay. I don't like to show my upsetness to it's not even a word. I don't like to show that <laughs> side of me to people I don't know. I know you, Renee, but the caddy, I didn't want to like shock him with how crazy I can get. <laughs> that chick's crazy. What the hell? <laughs> so last thing clothes. I'm gonna say, last thing I'll say before I say one more thing before okay. we bring on our our uh our first guest mm-hmm. um is uh do you know why they call it the sport golf? This is a stupid joke, but why they call it golf? I a sport? Yeah, they call it I, golf because shit and f- were taken. Oh so that's that's an that, that's an <laughs> that's old golf joke. Well, yeah. it's true because when you miss the ball, you're like shit. I actually don't understand how golf is a sport, but just saying, I know people are gonna hate me for that. But well, the the thing you say something that actually is said a lot, right? Mm. People think slam dunks are sports right they think something that's more physical someone knocking you hard or you punching someone those are sports Mm -hmm. this is a sport because Mm -hmm. there's body mechanics involved but more important more importantly there's a little white thing with dimples that just taunts you like no one's trying to block you from yeah the golf ball (laughs) so so like the thing butt. is, in in other sports, you you have an opposition, right? Right. In this sport, your opposition is yourself. Yeah. Got it. You understand? Yeah. So there's no one else to blame. It's you. Right. The ball's not moving. There's no no one trying to block you from. Right. No one's screaming at you. In so, fact, everyone's so quiet. It's right. just you You're and just your yeah. brain and the ball. I mean, and it depends so, on the definition of like sport, right? Like I think that you have to get your heart rate up because I think ballroom is a sport. Ballroom dancing is a sport. Yeah. I'm shocked it's not in the Olympics, but I feel like a lot of people don't think that. They think it's an art form. And I think there's there's two there's two sides to it. But, you know, the stamina it takes to get through five Latin dances in a row is insane. Yeah. Mark my words. I don't know when it's going to happen, but mark my words, ballroom dancing will become oh, an I Olympic so. sport, and I'll tell you why. We've been trying. Because Our recently, breakdancing has I now know. become... I know. It's, it's now going to be in, in the uh, next Olympics. I'm One shocked. last thing about mm-hmm. golf. This is an urban legend, mind you, that they, they someone created this acronym for the word golf, which is gentlemen only, ladies forbidden. That is so effed up. Yeah, but look at what's look at how much has changed in the world of golf now. You have the LPGA. You have mm. some amazingly talented female golfers out there totally, that can but crush still. the dudes. No, I agree. And we had Paige on. We had Paige yeah, on, but I exactly. I don't like the rules when it comes to like wardrobe a little bit. Like it is a man's sport. You can tell. Like it's not really fit for women to be there still at those country clubs. 
Well, I'll tell you, I think we should do a whole episode, a whole podcast. On the psychology just, of golf. Oh, no, on, on sexism. Totally. You know? yeah. Oh, that's a it, huge, it, it, yeah, that should be a whole month. A, it's so evident. It's so obvious. It's so by design to, to, to make women feel like they're not as good as men and we should do a whole episode on that i totally I mean, agree. even our um the author uh what's her name again oh uh the author that wrote that book for chrissy Teigen. what's her name anyway she talks about how the aa program as well is designed for men i think that's a great topic we should definitely talk yeah. about it so one last thing before we take a break Holly. um and come back with our first guest so people have been wondering this and i think it's hilarious um, because look, most of the, you know, my fans that watch and listen to us know how tall I am. Fans of Cheryl know how tall she is. Everyone has been like, we, we, we've only seen Renee sitting totally and, 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 and people are shocked. shocked to know how tall you are and that you're taller than you yes. look. Sitting Remember down. I said that. I said that to you when I you when we did that photo you shoot. Did. You you did, and it, it's, it's absolutely true. I'm not that tall, but for some reason. You're a runway pe- model. When, <laughs> not at all. But for some reason, people, when they see me on Zoom, they just put a height on me. Well, it's because you're usually, in that low rider chair. You're always in that maybe same that's chair. It. Maybe yeah. that's it. You are riding fucking low, man. Pete said the straight. same thing. Yes. Sit up straight, shoulders and down. And arms out and elbows out. No, on, no. Never again. <laughs> never again. Um, <laughs> all right, you guys. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll be back with our first guest. Stay tuned. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. 
We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together. We'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, you guys, we are back and we are about to uh, bring on our very first guest on this episode of Pretty Messed Up. Uh, I would like to welcome to the show... Dr. Gail Saltz. Hello. Hello, Gail. Welcome. Hi, Gail. Dr. Gail Saltz. How are you? (laughs) Good. Welcome to the show. I'll I'll introduce everybody. Uh, Myself, um, my name is AJ. Uh, I am one-fifth of this boy band called the Backstreet Boys. You may or may may not have heard of us. Um, We also have Cheryl Burke, who is an amazingly talented dancer from Dancing with the Stars. Yeah. Been on Dancing uh, Stars forever. <laughs> yes. And my other co-host, Renee Elizondo, who is a world, world-renowned world director and songwriter. Um, we created this podcast uh, pretty messed up because all three of us, our lives have crashed and burned, and we have made it out the other side, thankfully, uh, whether in a program, or a 12-step program or not. But we, uh, we have been able to make it out the other side, and we decided to come together and share our experience, strength, and hope, and also talk about recovery and mental health. So uh, Great. Welcome. welcome to the show. Well, thank <laughs> you for having me. I uh, did some research on you and I, you know, like I am not a part of the AA program, but I am very involved with therapy and I'm constantly in, um, you know, therapy for my addiction and um, also for just in general, my trauma I dealt with when I was a little girl. And I heard you talk a lot about, um, I guess, the psychology behind, you know, certain personalities when it comes to like being a genius versus not a genius. And I found it really fascinating. Would you like to, I don't know if you're still doing that, but it is, I loved the whole debate about, you know, that subject. Yeah. Um, happy to address that if you like. Yeah. Okay. Um, So what makes you, what qualifies you as a genius, I guess? Well, you know, actually what I, what I really was trying to highlight and I'm still trying to highlight is that people with what I call brain differences, whether that's, you know, mental illness related, some collection of symptoms, um, or learning differences have, wiring differences that yes, cause them to have symptoms of some sort that often causes suffering, but those same brains also have wiring differences that often confer potential strengths, extraordinary Mm. strengths. Mm. And, um, and some of those strengths are related to what we might today call genius as Mm -hmm. in, um, they are, have to do with exceptional ability to be creative 
think creative thoughts, uh, be highly original, innovative. Um, but there may be other strengths uh, that may have to do with, you know, visual spatial relations abilities, um, particularly uniquely gifted in empathy mm -hmm. um, and, and worldview in certain ways. So there are lots of different strengths depending on which wiring difference we're talking about right. that can confer this potential. And um, it came out of work that I had done for a long time and continue to do looking at historic, iconic genius people that people mm -hmm. that say, yeah. oh, well, they really changed the field or they mm -hmm. really invented some work. And it, we could be talking about the arts yeah. or the sciences, music, writing, all different fields. And I had a hard time finding somebody that I didn't cover in a psychobiography, looking at them, that didn't turn out to have a mental health issue or a learning mm -hmm. difference. Wow. So I was really struck by that. Yeah, I think that it's, is fascinating. I think it's fascinating because, you know, uh, myself being a musician, um, I've, you know, I've, I've been in this business for over 30 years. Um, and you look at a lot of artists from the past, um, people like Jim Morrison, um, you know, artists that were amazingly talented songwriters, visually, um, live, all these things. And yet they still suffered from this constant depression, this, 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 this constant, I'm not good enough. Um, yet to the world, they were a genius. They were put up on this pedestal. Um, I was going to put a joke in there while you were describing all these things and say, you just described me to a T, but no, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, pretty far from that. You but a lot of Mike. people do, do find themselves relating right? You know, they, especially in the art, things, they yeah. grew up, you know, really suffering, but, um, and, and probably really hurting their self-esteem and thinking, mm -hmm. you know, uh, I've been told whatever, I'm, I'm not a good student. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm lazy or I'm stupid or, um, you know, I, mm -hmm. I don't fit in, I'm a misfit in some way. And it, it really, you know, may have harmed them in certain ways tremendously, particularly if they didn't get treatment. Right. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, yeah, a lot of these people really are the Jim Morrisons or the, mm -hmm. you know, the people who ultimately, particularly, by the way, in, in, in music and art and in writing, in, in creative fields, mm -hmm. you find a very high preponderance of people with bipolar disorder, right. uh, attention deficit disorder, um, substance abuse disorders that, that definitely, you know, have everything to do with, with what I'm talking about. I mean, right. my, my hope was to bring forward the research and the information, the data, so people can understand this connection so that earlier on, um, instead of saying, oh my gosh, I don't want to even acknowledge that I have a mental health issue, let alone stick myself, stigmatize myself, get treatment and so on. Right. Uh, that you you actually want to help those people find their strengths, right. you know, mm -hmm. and work yeah. on that potential because that's what's going to give them happiness and functionality in life. Totally, I um, love that you did that. Getting treatment, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Doctor yeah. Saltz, I've I've, al I've always first welcome to the show. Thank you for mm -hmm. having time to do it. Uh, anytime we get a chance to have someone like yourself with multiple degrees, and written so many books and this is the field mental health that we try to focus on i've always been 
fascinated with nature versus nurture, right? And and I I've always had this idea that a lot of creative people are running from something, from pain or something, and they create they they create a less painful truth, mm. right? My question to you is in your research, how are people predisposed to genius? Or is it nurtured? Is it both? Because all the ones, all the people I love, I, I look into their history, whether it's Einstein, he was, they helped foster his, his genius, right? Um, so, my, yeah, my question to you is, is in your research, how much nature versus nurture have you discovered? Well, I think um, really when it comes to everything <laughs> that has to do with your mind, including this topic, but mm-hmm. also, you know, we could be talking about mental health issues in general or uh, intelligence, whatever that means. And I think that we have shifting mm-hmm. definitions of what that means um, or creativity. It's always some combination of, mm. of nature and nurture. And, and even to say that is inaccurate because it turns out that to some degree, nature keeps being altered by nurture. So like, mm-hmm. we, right, you, you're born with some set of genes mm-hmm. and then genes actually turn on and off throughout life, depending on the impact of the environment. Oh, right? I didn't so know that. actually what you're experiencing is affecting your biology. Mm-hmm. Uh, literally Changing. your genetic material yeah. right? and your mind and, and your brain but um, if you're mindful of it too you yeah. could actually do that right so it's, it's i'm sorry if you're mindful of wanting to change certain belief systems or wanting to not live the way your parents may have lived is that possible well yes yeah. so aside from like this it has to do like purely with right you you can be you can have a predisposition you know mm-hmm. biologically speaking right but whether that comes to fruition or not. So in the example, like you're saying, like if your parents did whatever, maybe they mm-hmm. abused substances, right? Yeah. And, and, and you know, maybe you have some family history that makes you have a greater likelihood of being susceptible to substance use or abuse, but definitely intervention or, or a personal decision mm-hmm. may totally influence if mm-hmm. it can be made conscious Yes. Yeah. What, what happens going forward? So, you know, if you have a tremendously, let's say if you have a lot of stability, you know, and you're able to harness that and you're able to work on having insights and making different, very conscious decisions, but you have support in doing that, um, you know, that could, that could totally change the game in terms of not repeating a behavior. But unfortunately for many people, right, this is so, there's a defense mechanism called repetition compulsion, Mm -hmm. you know, that where, you know, you, you unconsciously feel compelled to repeat the trauma Mm. that you experienced and Mm. do it. Even if, you know, obviously if it was conscious, you wouldn't want to do it again. Right. You can't, it's hard to stop yourself. And so for many people, they do repeat and it's not just the biology that's determining that it's actually right their their experience, their, their family environmental experience. Would you say it's the same for addiction for addicts? I think that's very true. I think mm-hmm. that's very, very, you know, most people with addiction, I mean, many of them have a family member, a parent often, you know, or a sibling that had that experience. It was in the home. 
there's already a family history. So there, there is this biology to it, but there is also the experience of having grown up with unpredictability, mm-hmm. um, you know, scary times, mm-hmm. uh, you know, seeing bad things happen <laughs> and that may, uh, they may be trying to sort of work it out, if you will, by repeating it mm-hmm. by, by, you know, and the messages could be very complicated. Everything from like, I need to feel that I have a good parent, which everybody needs to feel right. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be like them to hold on to the belief that they're good. You know, I, I mean, I'm just giving you one out of a yeah, zillion yeah, yeah. possible right, story. Yeah. You might so hear. this is interesting because, you know, you were, you, you were talking about how some, some of us have that genetic disposition that's already there, but case in point, myself, I'll use as a, for example. So I've been in and out of the rooms of AA for over 20 years. And since both my daughters have been on this planet, they have luckily never seen me drunk, but now I'm sober 15 months and things are fantastic at the house. My relationship with my wife is finally where it should be after being married for almost 10 years. But so if I stay the course, right, do I lessen that possibility of that genetic disposition from my kids by them now seeing if this is all they know, then does that remove that genetic disposition if it was already there? Possibly? So it does not remove the predisposition. Okay. But it does decrease the likelihood that they are going to struggle with a trauma that might propel them to basically behave the same as they saw. Right. right. Okay. So if you are, if you if in, in being sober or providing, you know, like a much more stable environment for them and secure relationships for them and all of that and can say to them, you know, this was a problem. I, I think it's wise to tell children if there's a family history, mm-hmm. this is something you're at risk for. Okay. Because anybody, anybody can get addicted anybody yes. and you don't have to have a predisposition at all right yep. so right. if you're taking something that's addictive you could become addicted but yep. some people are you know uh, unfortunately uh, you know one time with a certain drug is a problem for some people mm-hmm. and for some people it's not mm-hmm. and it's the people who have the history that you do want to say like you know what you're not the person who should be like i'm just going to try coke once and that'll mm-hmm. be fine and that'll be cool because right. for you it might not be because this is our family history. And so I think just educating yes. your, you know, your family so that they understand that, you know, it's not their fault. Uh, but some people do have this predisposition and they're therefore forewarned. They might want to make different decisions for themselves or also have a lower threshold for knowing that, that they may be headed toward a problem because mm-hmm. yeah. You know, do you, do you feel like addiction is a self-diagnosis? Well, the DSM five, the diagnostic statistical manual that, you know, psychiatrists operate with doesn't use addiction as a diagnosis. It would be mm. either substance abuse or substance dependence. Mm. Um, you know, in other words, it's, you're, you're not like the label it's you're a person Yes, who has a diagnosis? Yes, the the illness of the time is either that you you know are abusing something and it ha- that has a very particular definition, mm. or you're dependent on something mm-hmm. that has a particular definition with a collection of symptoms, 
And I think that's more useful mm. than labeling, labeling someone an addict, which, yeah. you know, we, we're all people. And sometimes we get the illness of depression or we get the illness of anxiety. You have an anxiety disorder or we get the illness of substance overuse or dependence. Okay. And I have um, a, I have you know, a question. I, I think that's a, that's a more, I think that it's not good for self-esteem in general to label people totally purely illnesses because you have a lot of other things going on about yes. you mm-hmm. that are that are not just that okay i'm i'm curious uh, doctor have you ever dealt with a patient that had no none of the telltale traumas right like parents loved each other uh, there's no financial insecurity. No one's acting neurotic around the house. There's no violence. There's no verbal abuse that still ended up in, uh, you know, with different challenges mentally, whether it's addiction, whether it's depression, whether it's anxiety disorders, you name it. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I mean, there's, you know, uh, and in fact, I, w- I would even tell you that you know, one concern a lot of people in my field have now is that parenting in the last, let's say, decade and a half has been very focused on smoothing the way, right? Mm-hmm. On making everything just really great and uh, trying to help your child make no mistakes. Um, or if they make one, like sort of try to tell them it's not really a mistake and, you know, bolster them up in, in the, all in the service of love, right? All in the service of like boosting your self-esteem and so on. But now we're seeing a lot of young adults, right? With failure to launch and lacking coping skills because everything was so smooth. Right. They never yeah. had disappointment right. and screw or up. failure, and yeah. Hardship and, and built coping tools. Mm-hmm. And so they don't have resilience. Mm-hmm. Right. Get out into the world and what? Exactly. So it, 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 uh, it's not always a wonderful thing for everything to be, it depends on what you mean by, totally. you know, smooth and, you know, yes, having loving others who are, are, let's say what Winnicott would say is good enough parents, you know, mm-hmm. good enough parents having, you know, not overwhelming trauma, yeah. you know, having like some difficulty is one thing, but like overwhelming and ongoing voracious trauma right. is not good. Um, I feel like failure do fail- anyway, because there are genetic, you know, look, one out of every 10 people sometime in their lifetime will have a clinical major depression. Totally. That's just, that's just a fact. More people than that will have an actual anxiety disorder. Um, you know, the, these are, these are prevalent illnesses. They are. And uh, we don't always know you know, we know certain things that might increase your risk, but people without risk definitely get it. And mm-hmm. we, we don't always know why. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not necessarily I... preventable. What is preventable is the lack of knowledge that's so pervasive and the continued stigma that keeps people from recognizing when something is happening that does need treatment and then going and getting that treatment. Totally. Treating yourself just means but that's, yeah. the, that's the hard part, though. Less potential or any of the upside. I think I think what's difficult and challenging nowadays is I see that when 
when people feel like they have some sort of trauma that happened in their lives, they don't like to talk about it, right? And I, you know, I come from, um, you know, I was sexually abused as a kid. So I dealt with trauma and so did another family member of mine. And the difference between us is that, you know, I'm able to talk about it. And every time I talk about it, it's healing. And then the other family member that got molested, she cannot talk about it. Now, and it's eating her alive to the point where her social anxiety is through the roof. She is, you know, she abuses certain um, substances and um, it's, I, I just see her just being eaten alive. And I, that's why it's so important for me to do a podcast like this because it's okay to have trauma. It's okay to have feelings. And I'm just learning, mind you, you know, I come from a Filipino family and uh, my mom, when she was raised, she was very like, not very affectionate, you know? So um, I'm just starting to understand like what it means to feel your feelings and vulnerability and all of that. And I do agree with you, doctor. I think that, you know, with failure, like I come from the ballroom dance competition world. So like I failed a lot in a way, but without the failure, there's no success. And I truly believe that that needs to be, um, whether it's communicated from your parents or whether that needs to be entertainment on television or whatever it is, that that does need to be, um, you know, brought out and talked about more. And, and it's okay to fail. It's actually a good thing. Yeah. Totally agree. Absolutely. I have a question kind of leading a little bit left field. Um, you know, look, all, obviously all of us have been living this new quarantine life, um, <laughs> living in a pandemic that I don't think anybody saw coming. And, um, but I, and I, and I know that this is not the right term, but it's kind of how I feel. Um, not only have we been dealing with COVID-19 pandemic, but also a election pandemic, a race pandemic, uh, an economic pandemic, all of these variables stuck at home. How, how much do you think this has affected people's ability to, you know, pretend, once, once, the, once the dust settles, people's ability to be social again? Um, you know, I know now when I see friends that aren't in my bubble, I still want to give a hug. I'm a, I'm the kind of hugging kind of person. They don't even lift their arms. Mm -hmm. And that's, it's like, wow. Like it's really affected you so much that you can't even put your arms up, even if it's accidental because you don't know if I'm a hugger anymore, but how do you, how do you think people are going to come out of this thing? With all of those subjects. Huge question. Um, huge question. Yeah, I was going to say um, little question. It's yeah, a small it's, question, but it's been on my mind. So, yeah. It, it, it's, a, it's a biggie. Um, it, you, there is no question but that the perfect storm of pandemic, forced social distancing, um, as you said, economic strife, uh, systemic racism, uh, you know, all of these things, the, the stress of all of this has absolutely caused an explosion of mental mm-hmm. health problems. Like, mm-hmm. like we have never totally. seen. There's been a mm-hmm. huge rise in substance use and abuse. There's been a huge rise in domestic violence. Divorce. We're looking at more suicide and deaths of mm-hmm. despair from opioids um, and as well as suicide. Uh, we're, we're looking at a rise, absolutely like a 31% increase so far in clinical depression. When I just told you one out of 10 people already had that 31% increase, never seen that before. Um, you know, 
anxiety disorders, as you're pointing, some of them will be social anxiety. Some of them will be, when you take a population and you make them terrified, so terrified, right, of, of sickness and death to change their behaviors as we have done like never before, right? I mean, we told people, hey, you know what? Smoking gives you lung cancer and people didn't stop smoking. Mm -hmm. right. uh, but we told people, hey, you have to do these things or you may get sick and die from COVID. And, and everybody, and by the way, I'm not saying this was wrong. It was right, but I'm saying so much fear was engendered mm -hmm. to make this kind of behavioral change, to get an entire Agreed. nation yeah. to mask up, work from home, not see anyone, you know, make these major behavioral changes. And those just don't go away. Like it's no, been a it's year. Trauma. Right? Well, so, yeah. yeah. And you have the media so, and you have social media, you have right. the press that obviously instead of, and this is just my personal opinion, instead of really getting all the facts before you just, you know, blow the candles out on the birthday cake, uh, you know, there, you, you were causing this mass hysteria. You but know, you talk there's, about there's mixed messages. I'm in New York. I'm in New York, and, and oh, you know, yeah. where it all exploded. Okay, and I, and and they did what I mean. I think we all did what had to be done. Totally. I, I, right. I mean, I really do believe that. I 100% believe that. And uh, I wish I only wish we could have done it faster and sooner. And maybe yeah, so many people wouldn't have died. So I I'm not. I think we did what we had to do, and we're still doing what we mm -hmm. have to do from a public health perspective, but. The other major public health issue is no doubt no. in response, yep. a lot of mental health problems. Totally. And frankly, not enough. More people are reaching out for therapy than ever before. Yeah. All of my colleagues were totally oversubscribed. Nobody has room in their practice. Right. It's right. actually part of the reason I, I started, I had a podcast, but I started a new podcast mm -hmm. um, called How Can I Help? where people can send me questions and I'm literally just, you know, so riffing. I'm just answering your questions. Like if you came into my office, cause you know what? I don't have time to, to have you in my office now. Well, yeah. Nobody well, I, has time to have you in their office now. Doctor, here, I have a question for you. You're obviously someone people go to for these trying times, right? That's what you've, that's what you've gone to school for. This is what you've prepped for your whole life. Who do you go to? What mm, do you do? Good question. So that's a very good question. Well, um, you know, in my earlier days of training, part I'm a psychiatrist, yes. but I'm also a psychoanalyst. Right. And those are different trainings. And part right. of psychoanalytic training is to go through a psychoanalysis. You right. have to. That's right. you must do that. I personally found it incredibly valuable totally. and necessary for my work. And you know, that takes a lot of years. So yeah. I was in a lot of years of therapy, uh, right. you know, and I think that's a good thing. I, I think it's a necessary thing for, for caretakers. Everyone. And health <laughs> so I, I had that. Um, currently, you know, I, if I found myself and I know what to look for, you know, I wouldn't hesitate to reach out to another psychiatrist or psychoanalyst right. for treatment if I felt like, I was in that situation right. and, right. and really some someone that's not you. <laughs> yeah. Someone that is not me right. and that I don't work with. That yeah, would be exactly. So those would be my criterion. I mean, the you know, I am blessed in that I have a I, I've been married 30 years. I, I have a very wonderful marriage. Um, and I have uh, curiously 
and bizarrely, you know, my, my kids, as many people have experienced, have had to return to the nest um, because everything is shut down and they don't, you know, their, their college and law school and everything shut down. So I have had a lot of company. Mm-hmm. I've had maybe more company sometimes <laughs> would be, would be right. ideal. But, right. um, but uh, I, I, I have people, I have good friends. I have, this is very important. I, right. I, I say this, not just for myself, but for everybody. I have nurtured close friendships with, awesome. you know, that we support each other. I mm-hmm. have that with my husband and I, I have that with my, my daughters. Um, not everybody has that. A lot of yeah, you have a good alone, circle. You know, bunkered down alone. Um, right. But even if you have that, obviously, if you, if you go on to, you know, I know what the clinical symptoms are. I'm not having, I'm used to hearing because it's the work that I do, you know, about yeah. A lot of terrible things, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you're a psychiatrist, you hear about a lot of devastation in lives, and, sure. and that, I'm used to doing that. And my defense mechanism is that I'm helping them. Totally. That, you know, is it therapeutic for you in a way to help like that? Um, helping is definitely. I mean, we call it therapy in a way, but I would say, you know, like it's a great. Um, well, we know. I mean, data Service. support mm-hmm. that helping others helps your own mood. Yes. We absolutely know that. So whether it's Agreed. doing something in the true happiness, or whatever, it helps, mm-hmm. it does. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this, doctor. I mean, cause I, I have a couple of friends that are psychologists that are psychiatrists, um, that have pretty big families. And it's always fascinated me. Like you say you have girls, um, you know, how do you separate mom from doctor? When, when there's those moments where your kids don't feel like, okay, is she putting on the mom hat or is she putting on the doctor hat, yeah. you know, because that's How gotta be difficult, yeah. you know? Oh, there are definitely elements of being the daughter of a psychiatrist that really stink. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> right. Sometimes they're like, ah, you know, what, <laughs> yeah. did you have to write that book about talking to your kids about sex like right I, yeah. actually, that's, actually I'm, or, you know, I'm gonna get that book I it's yeah. very useful I'm sure yeah <laughs> it is if you're not if it's not your mom but um <laughs> right I I you know I on some things I think you know there's a real advantage you know I I spot things that before you know sometimes they might be spotted and I had no hesitancy about saying hey this is something that you should talk with someone about. Mm. Um, and sometimes it could be me, but sometimes it shouldn't be me. How and, old are they? Uh, well, now they're, uh, they're, now they're older. Now they're all in their ones. They're 28, 26. And okay. Okay. Um, but you know, they, they know that this is always something, a tool that you can dip yeah. into, um, for help. Uh, have any of them followed in your footsteps? Are they, uh, Wanting yeah, nobody, to... I, nobody's, I don't think anyone's going to be a psychiatrist, although um, my youngest is, um, she's in college right now, but she is uh, double majoring in, in neuroscience and psychology, oh, wow. but I think, wow. I think she's going for the, the, the uh, science uh, lab researcher, uh, like right. she would like to, to do the work in the brain, literally yes. uh, nice. uh, understanding where, where various things come from. So maybe a but... slight angle on that. Yeah. Back to um, social anxiety. Um, I, on the other hand, I have enjoyed quarantine. I loved every single second of it. 
because I was able to really work on myself and take a bunch of online courses, learn more about that. If I couldn't, I mean, if I wasn't in quarantine, if this pandemic never happened, I would have never gotten the time to do so, you know, and I've picked up, I've started, I've had about two to three startups, you know, now companies and like been really into diamond painting, which is this crazy, really repetitive <laughs> It's like paint by numbers, basically. Very that I, yeah. I actually now diamond paint while I'm in therapy um, via Zoom with my therapist. And I find it uh, very soothing and relaxing, a sense, you know, and I've turned that into a business. Um, <laughs> but my point is, is that for people like me who have already been kind of terrified of people even before the pandemic uh. and feel like, okay, well, you know, slowly opening back up. And it's not so much about the actual pandemic. It's more about socializing in general, because I've been so used to being here, yeah. you know, or on Dancing with the Stars, but that was also very much a bubble. What yeah. do you suggest we do for people? Yeah, like I think you've, you're going to have a lot of company. I think, you know, um, we've spent a year being afraid, right, of mm -hmm. being uh, with others mm -hmm. because it's, it's dangerous. And mm -hmm. that is hard to turn off, especially for people who maybe already, as, you, as you're saying, had a propensity toward having a little social anxiety. So mm -hmm. this, this just fed that perfectly. It did. And, um, and so I think there will be kids who have, who have difficulty going back to school, right? Because they're going to feel afraid. And there will be adults similarly who will have difficulty, um, you know, getting out of their nest and, mm -hmm. and, and getting back together with people and having, you know, sort of all the responsibility of that as well. And I would just be, I would have to say to you from a, the standpoint of anxiety disorders, the most important thing to do really is to, as Nike says, just do just it. Just do it. Like yeah. you're good. You have to initially force yourself to just do it because yeah. As you do it, you're desensitizing yourself to the anxiety of whatever experience, you know, over time, right, your anxiety level will diminish the more experience you have with it. But if you avoid it, which is yes, what no, people don't with social that. anxiety do, right, it yeah. reinforces the social anxiety and it will grow stronger until your world is, you know, your living right. room. So, and, it, and it's your thoughts that really create the anxiety, obviously. Exactly. So, so you, oh, you sure. have to test it. You have to say, I don't feel like it, but I'm going out to do this. I'm going to go yeah. do this, see this person and so on. And it won't be pleasurable today, but I will, you know, tomorrow it will be easier. Totally. Cheryl, Thank you. Cheryl, maybe, maybe Cheryl, next time we get together, just to help you ramp back into, you okay. know, society. I'll buy a picture frame and I'll look like I'm on Zoom for you for a second. You're so crazy. And then I'll slowly move the frame. <laughs> I find that with you guys, like with the people I know, I'm fine. It's just the meeting new people. I'm very introverted too. It's exhausting. I have to take a nap afterwards. <laughs> I, d I don't mean to throw another big question at you, but I am fascinated with, um, so we're going to be, or this generation will be the pandemic generation and there mm -hmm. will be fallout and there will be anxieties and disorders and people trying to deal with things. Same way there was the World War II generation, right? I always think about they, they go, they fight, they see their friend's head get blown off, they come back, they get married, they have kids. They're, of course that gets passed along. My question to you is more on a genetic level is is it possible for these predispositions to skip a genera uh, skip a generation? Uh, so great grandpa had issues with so and so. 
my grandfather didn't, my dad didn't, but now I do. I'm not saying I do, but I'm just saying, can these, this sort of like genetic disposition skip generations? Yes. Um, It's, it's not, it's, it's sort of, again, you know, it's environmental factors probably that have like, you know, altered or turn off and on genes, or there may, sometimes there are protective genes that get passed along Mm. with the, the potential for problem gene. And so, you know, each person has some unique, you know, right, unique chemistry, if you will. And so when we look at family histories, we don't look just at your parents. We ask about your aunts and your uncles and your grandparents. And, you know, like we're, we're looking at the whole tree because one or two things popping up even further out on the tree right. can also be meaningful. So in the, really. in the same way, heart disease can run in a family. Same with Absolutely. the, I right. mean, you know, Cancer, we're, we're not at a place yeah. because the genes are not like dominant or recessive. They're not like a, a one and done um, there. You know, we, we don't understand yet, but there are certain genes that in combination or certain ones that may, that seem to predispose you, but still the predisposition is not like, you know, 80%. It's, it's lower than that. So we don't, we don't yet know exactly what, but, but we do know that, you know, there are families that it's just dotted, you know, mm-hmm. like this grandparent, yep. this uncle and so on. And I just that, did uh, 23 and me. I don't know if you like, if you believe in all that, but I, you know, th- here's the thing. Uh, it, it's not that there's a problem with genetic testing, which can be so useful in, in some ways, absolutely. But you really should be like, what are you looking for? You know, and well, there's a lot. And, and are you going to, and if you find something, is it something that's going to alter what you choose to do treatment wise or oh, no, life no, decision wise? No. Because just sort of blasting, you know, things come up on these things that really are disturbing to people. Right. Well, like I didn't know my dad had a bunch of wives. My dad passed away about two years ago. But with that, I have lots of brothers and sisters I have no idea about. Right. Wow. So that's my my reason. And I only I only met my half sister um, about two years ago. And then I met my half brother at my dad's wake in Thailand for the first time. And I know that there were more, but I just want to know just out of curiosity. Well, for some people like that, like that could be a wonderful thing. You could be like, "Uh, I have other family. Totally. Yeah. And you know, maybe that is a wonderful thing. Some people, you know, they do it and they find out that they have some genetic (laughs) syndrome that, you know, is, is potentially terrible and they don't know what they're going to, you know, there's nothing to do about it. That's not so wonderful. It, it really, but for the purposes of, of family and finding family, I think a lot of people have, or, or knowing something about their heritage yeah. you know, or it has been really a yeah. wonderful thing. So, totally. Doctor, um, just, I'm kind of shocked I didn't ask you this there at the very, very beginning, <laughs> but um, was there anything else growing up that you wanted to get into? Like, be, like for like, you know, once you started school, or, or have you always wanted to take the path that you have chosen to take? And what well, what really made you take this particular path? We want to get to know you. Yes. Yes. Did you want to be a ballroom dancer? Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Um, I actually, well, I, I knew that I wanted to be a doctor. Um, and uh, I was very just fascinated with science in general. And um, and with the with the human body and humans in particular, and uh, so I spent a lot of time, you know, 
immersed in bio biology, the biological sciences, and then I wanted to be a doctor. And I went to medical school and I really wanted to be, uh, I thought I wanted to be an internist actually. So that that is actually what, so I, when I, I went and I, I got a residency in internal medicine and I did that residency. And it was during that residency that once a week, the psychiatrist would come around and take the internist with him on uh, rounds and uh, do what he called uh, an exploration of the life narrative. Like what, here's this patient, they have a peptic ulcer, they have, you know, uh, some horrible neurological problem, whatever they have, but coming to understand something about who they are and what their life narrative is and how that's informing their experience in the hospital is valuable. Yeah. I was like, I don't know how to explain it except to say smitten. I was just completely mm -hmm. smitten. And I just came to feel over that time that while, you know, medicine is amazing and fascinating, that the mysteries of the mind mm -hmm. and the central importance of the brain was more was much more fascinating to me. So I awesome. finished that fascinating and I to do psychiatry instead that which was a, yeah. an unusual an unusual thing to do. Quick was, uh, quick question before we wrap. What do you think of the science behind meditation? Oh, it's 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 uh, real. It's mm -hmm. um, it's it's been coming out in droves over the last more than decades. So it's, it's been quite substantiated. Um, it, I, the, the research has been mostly looking at mindful meditation, transcendental mm. meditation. Uh, that's not to say that every form can't be useful. I, I just can't answer that. I can no, just totally. say, you know, I, mm -hmm. I know of the studies related to particular forms of meditation. It's not for everyone. Some mm -hmm. people just find it excruciatingly difficult to get into, and it does take time. I mean, yeah, it's learned it's a real process. It's not like it's a practice. Yeah. You know? mm -hmm. uh, yep. So it's not everybody can has the time and the, and the, and you know, the ability, but on a mass level, you know, it's costs no money over time, you know, right. And, and, mm -hmm. um, and it really decreases anxiety, decreases stress level, improves mood, um, so there's a lot of good stuff to be said. For along meditation. along the same along the same path, uh, there's the science side, right? Then there's the spirituality mm -hmm. side. It, are are you involved in any spiritual practices yourself? Um, I how should I put this? Um, I am not. I am a very science based person. Mm -hmm. right. I'm like right. hugely like. Show me the science. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I'm I'm Jewish by birth, and you know, I have a Jewish family, and so we have our, I guess I'll say, spiritual, cultural, you know, um, things Rituals. that are important. Yeah. And I think um, the appreciation of the of the world, the connection to the larger world, mm -hmm. the connection to a community, totally. to a culture that has come before us to a culture that will live on, like those things are important to me. Yeah. Um, uh, but I, but probably compared to, I don't know, some people in mental health, I'm, I'm always going to go with 
I'm always going to go with the science. Totally. Right. totally. I think I'm a the lot same of, way. <laughs> a lot of my heroes happen to be astrophysicists, people, whether it's Carl Sagan or, you know, Brian Greene or Michio Kaku, all these guys. And they're, they all seem to be atheists, right? Mm -hmm. they, they're like you. Show me, show me the science, and it needs to be experimented out, and we need to see results, right? And it's funny, as much as I love them, I found myself in my path to getting sober, discovering this higher power thing, and, and I don't debate it with anyone. I, you know, it's like if, if you don't want to believe in something, good for you. For me, like I almost died, and it kind of helped me. It's helped me stay sober, mm -hmm. um, but but I'm always, you know, I do get conflicted sometimes because I'm I am more like you. It's like I want to know the science. That said, I've but also isn't seen there science behind faith. Well, there are some things we can't know. And by the way, some astrophysicists actually do are religious it. and see yeah. the ability to be quite religious and spiritual at the same time. And some, it's funny you say astrophysicists because. My brother is is an astrophysicist. Oh wow! Um, and uh, yeah, my brother is actually won the Nobel Prize in two thousand. Oh wow! <laughs> wow, you guys are a bunch of under. Okay, I feel like wow. Okay. <laughs> oh my goodness! Okay, for his discovery of the uh, the accelerating universe and dark energy. Wow. Okay, now. I just spoke all day with a friend That's about amazing. dark energy. I'm so fast. We've been, AJ and I went to the JPL lab laboratory. We yeah. saw the Mars rover. Like, uh, But here, here's what I was going to say. Sometimes I do debate some friends that I've met that are in the field. And, and, and I say, do you believe in anything you, you cannot prove? And they say they don't. And I said, do you think we're the only intelligent life force in this vast universe and they all say no there's no way we could be the only ones mm -hmm. so so yeah. they do believe in something that can't be totally. proven at least at this stage they're going by laws of probability right, right. isn't there yeah. a science so, behind faith though even though it is not like necessarily proven but faith does bring certain positive aspects into your life is that correct well i i mean i yes i mean that is there there's lots of science mm -hmm. on the value of faith mm -hmm. in healing, yes. in mental health, um, you know, I mean, studies that have looked at like cancer patients and those that had faith, you know, in some ways doing better. I mean, you know, because it is sustaining and supportive and decreases your stress. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, yeah, faith, I mean, Faith is not a bad thing. Faith is a good thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, you know, I think, I mean, to be a person of science doesn't mean that you don't acknowledge that there are many things we don't know yet mm -hmm. and that therefore have many possibilities that you might not be able to see yet. And I guess in that sense, you could say the possibility for being agnostic or, you know, for being, mm -hmm. you know, uh, aware that there may be a higher power of some sort that we don't understand that is organizing things. I think you will find a lot of people in, you know, in science fields who, who feel that way. They mm -hmm. just might not define it as, as a structured God of a particular religion. Right. So Have, has I don't you, know that you can call that any less spiritual. I would right, love right. to, I'd love to see you and your brother at dinner. Like I would yeah, love to see what those conversations, conversations like. That would and be has, amazing. Has he ever said, yeah, but 
you didn't win a Nobel Prize. <laughs> oh, well, he, well, he's my baby brother. Oh. Um, <laughs> I was like, thanks. thanks. Yeah, <laughs> right? Well, definitely, whenever we're all in New York, we're going to have to have a nice little powwow, yeah. all of us, and just sit and pick your brains. I would, I would die. That, I'm sure that they would, would love be that. phenomenal. <laughs> Dr. Saltz, thank you. Thank yeah. you so much for thank being you. on the show. Um, Please remind everybody about your new podcast, what it's mm -hmm. called and where they can hear it. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's called, how can I help with Dr. Gail Saltz? And they can either, they can say, if they want to ask me a question, which I will answer and, and put up, um, they can send it to how can I help at Seneca because I'm doing this with iHeart mm -hmm. and awesome. also with Seneca women. So it, it, um, they they can do that. But um, they can find it, frankly, wherever, you know, Apple, yeah. iHeart, yep. any podcast app, find a, a awesome. podcast. and um, they could tweet me a question if they like at Dr. Gail Saltz. And what's your latest yeah. book that that uh, you wrote that where can they find that? Different, the link between disorder and genius. Mm. Thank well, you for yes. being so open with us. Thank you. I've learned a lot today. Uh, yeah. So Thank much. Being interested and curious and um, and sharing your paths as well. Thank you. Yes. Thank I think you. I might want to go you. back to school now. Seriously. Okay. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Dr. Saltz. And thank you. Uh, stay thank safe. You. Everybody be well. Thank Cheers. you, doctor. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if... no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. 
My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, you guys. Uh Another big, big thank you to Dr. Gail Saltz. Um, I feel really <laughs> dumb right now, but it's no. okay. No, 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 no. I'm just no kidding. Way. No, she was so inspiring, and I hope you guys check out her podcast and her new book, and uh, I hope that she can bring you some help if you are struggling out there. So our next guest, um, so his, excited. his real name is Paul Bryan. But you may know him on the TikTok verse, the universe of TikTok, as Viking Tower. Uh, let's get Paul in to the show. Um, we have a lot to talk about. A lot. Yes. I, yeah, me and Renee are both like over the moon right now. Excited. To I talk can't to wait Paul. to meet him after yeah. watching him on yeah. TikTok. Cheryl. I just want to see that beard. Yeah, same. <laughs> my, let's my, bring him in. My bearded brother. Oh, here okay. we go. There, there he you is. Are. There's the beard. Oh, there it is. I'm so mad, Paul, because I had a beard about your length and not quite. Well, close, but then I, but then I had my first daughter and the pulling and the poo getting in there and everything. It was too much. So I trimmed it down, but welcome. Welcome, Paul, to pretty messed up podcast. Thanks for having me on your show. This is exciting. It's fantastic. Thank you. Um, just a little backstory. So, you know, um, I'm AJ McLean. I am one fifth of the Backstreet Boys. Um, my co-host, Cher Bear, Cheryl I'm Burke. I'm on a pro, pro, professional, pro, pro, I'm stuttering, professional, yes. um, I'm just so mesmerized by that beard, professional ballroom dancer from Dancing with the Stars for 35,000 seasons. Yes. Yeah. And um, our other co-host, Renee Elizondo, who is a world-renowned songwriter and director. Paul, um, welcome. Awesome. Yes. Welcome. Uh, the three of us decided to do this podcast. You basically, all three of us have one thing that's in common. All of our lives have crashed and burned, and we've come out the other side. Um, we are all three sober, um, and uh, we talk about mental health and just, you know, social issues, social dilemmas, and recovery. So, uh, welcome to the show. Yeah, yeah. I'm awesome. Thank I'm, you. It's an honor Paul, to be here, Paul. I'm I'm really stoked that you're here. I have to tell you. Um, Normally, you know, everyone's on TikTok. I, I'll get, my wife will send me something. And like, let's say this morning, it was a cat bopping his head to aha <laughs> take on me, right? And uh, that's normally what it is. Little snacks, little tiny snacks that aren't really that good for you. But she sent me you, right? And I looked at it and I swear to God, it warmed my heart so much to the point that 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 I sent to these guys and to the producers of mm -hmm. the show, you guys, if we can get him on, we got to have him on. The world yeah. needs this energy, this yes. your wow. loving energy, your the way you presented that. We're, I'm a, I am a writer, and I love the way you had us kind of going in one direction with with the humor, but then you brought it around to this beautiful message of love mm -hmm. and tolerance. So totally. Thank you for being here, man. It, it, awesome. it, I don't know if you realized when you made this clip how much mm -hmm. impact, good impact you would have on people. And I can tell you that first person, 
that was cha- like life changing for me. Totally. And, and and I'll let you speak in a second. And the reason is for me especially is you, obviously you know you call yourself Viking um, and you have a certain look like a brave heart kind of thing that the last thing you expect is a guy in touch with his feelings. Oh my gosh, So, yeah. so it, it just made me feel so good. And then I, AJ saw it and Cheryl saw it and they're like, we got to get him on. We yeah. got to get him on. So Your thank you. Your messaging is so powerful. So thank you. Can you tell awesome. us a little bit about yourself? Give us a little history about who uh, you are. Well, I'm uh, crashed and burned myself. Uh, so it's uh, good to be among brothers and sisters. Welcome. Uh, mm-hmm. My dad was terminally ill when I was a kid growing up. And so I learned the value of life pretty young. Mm. And uh, He died when I was really young. And then I got uh, really bad into uh, drugs and alcohol. And um, then about in my early 20s, I had a real life change and turn around and um, started, uh, you know, I was being sober and working hard and raising a family. And uh, so uh, I started getting involved in like uh, missions and ministry projects and stuff like that. And uh, went all over the world uh, doing compassion projects for about 15 years and then um, got kind of burned out because I did so much of that. I really wasn't, you know, present with my own kids and family. Mm. We we, um, we relocated back into the panhandle of Florida. And uh, I do roofing now, and it's kind of a not mindless thing. Um, And I do insurance work. I'm an insurance adjuster, so I get to help people. I just wanted to do something. I left. uh, I was a president of a 503C company for 10 years and wanted to do something to continue to help. So I got involved in helping people with their insurance. So I've always liked to do stuff to help people. What was your, if you don't mind, what was the, what was that? Uh, moment where you wanted to be sober like that um what happened for you to Uh, hit rock bottom if you did i don't know well yeah i hit rock bottom uh i was living in my car and you know couch surfing and i was putting my mom through hell and she was a widow and um i was gonna have my oldest daughter who's 24 and um i just you know uh, I went to the Brownsville Revival. I don't know if you might have heard about that in Pensacola. And it really did. It was transformative me. It taught me how to love myself and how to love other people. And I started my journey on love. And what you see on TikTok now is really the culmination of, you know, 49 years of learning how to love and love myself and love other people. And then just screwing around and then all of a sudden getting a platform to do what I've tried to do my whole life, which is wow. fascinating. It's very interesting to me because like, you know, I've, I purposely got off of social media, um, for about the past almost three years. Um, and I, thankfully I have an amazing social media team that posts for me with my say, and if there's something I want people to know about fine, but I didn't want the apps on my phone anymore Mm -hmm. because myself and Renee are both fathers. We, we both have girls. He's got one. I have two. Um, and you know, it was all consuming and I wanted to be more focused on my kids and be more focused as a, as a father and as a husband. And until TikTok came along along and then I was like, (laughs) ah, crap, I don't really want to go down that rabbit hole. But literally as soon as I got on TikTok, um, I'm 
basically became instant friends with Ed Dudes, JT Laybourne, Dan Henry, Scott Henry, all these guys that all they do every day is spread positivity and love. Yeah. Um, and God, I love Scott. He's a friend oh, of mine. Dude, oh, dude. Nicest he's a friend, guys in the world. Um, and like we ended up getting together and doing this whole fundraiser for the American Heart Association. We raised half a million dollars. Awesome. Um, awesome. And it was just like to be part of a positive community. Yes. And that's what's kept me wanting to engage more and more on TikTok. And, you know, let 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 people in, in inside my world mm-hmm. that I don't normally do. And just you just made me want to start TikTok because I don't and, know what TikTok is. But if there's but, a positive aspect, no, then there absolutely. Is. There is. Well, there's just like any social media. There's a right. dark side yeah. and there's a light side. Mm-hmm. There's like the force yeah. and then you have like, you know, Vader over here. But there's one <laughs> thing you said in the actual post that Renee sent to me and, and mm-hmm. to into our team talking about your, you know, children. And this has got to be one of the most just simple but mm-hmm. most powerful statements I think I've ever heard which is you just love them. It's not rocket science. Right. And it's, you know, hearing somebody say that, it inspired me. I mean, I tell my kids every day how much I love them, no matter what path they decide to, you know, take as they get older. If they decide to be doctors or performers like me, if they decide to be gay, if they haven't figured that out yet, whatever the case is, I will be there a hundred million percent to support them. I'm a huge advocate for That's the LG. Oh yeah. I'm a huge advocate. We all are for the LGBTQ community. And just, you know, what, 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 what did you do with Dax? Um, who was actually born your daughter. Correct. Um, and had came out to you as transgender and, right. you know, uh, how was describe to everybody that moment? Like, how did you handle that moment? Because I think people need to hear yes, this they do. more AJ, than anything. AJ, move forward. Sorry, there, there you my freaking okay. chair keeps hitting so, things. So it's a little bit of a journey because what happened was um, I was heavily involved in ministry for 17 years, and so I was uh, very much opinionated about um, you know transgender, homosexual issues, and all that because those weren't my issues. I had a very strong opinion, mm. so as I was going on my journey and as I was becoming more loving and more open and more understanding of scripture and how people were misusing it and how especially the church was misusing it Mm -hmm. to uh, really put people who were different or people who were sexually different at a, at an arm's length. I actually uh, wrote a sermon one time, time talking about how we made a leper colony out of people who have sexual differences than ours. And so because we called them unclean, then they all have to congregate somewhere else like San Francisco or a different part of town or whatever right. it might be. And so my middle daughter came out is bisexual was the, was the beginning of the journey. And I saw how the church really turned their back on her. And I was just flabbergasted because that was not at all the message that Jesus taught. He taught a right. message of acceptance and love and forgiveness Inclusivity. and inclusion. Yeah. His, his message is nothing like what the church's message is or most churches are in America today. And so I left the ministry and moved so that I could be more supportive of my daughter and also to get her away from that toxic um, fishbowl mm-hmm. where everybody had an opinion on how she felt about herself, which was absolutely absurd. And so because of what I was involved in, when she came out, she thought I was going to be mad or reject her. And the mm-hmm. first thing I said to her was, 
I was a father long before I was a pastor mm. and I was a man long before I was anything else. And you mm. come from me. You're mm. not, I'm not living vicariously through you. I'm not putting my expectations on you. You're my daughter and I will love you unconditionally oh. till the day you die, no matter Gosh. what you do. And people say, well, what if she killed 25 people, 25 people, I would be visiting her in prison. That's my daughter. Yes. That's yep. my daughter. Nothing changes that. Absolutely. So, then, so this is a whole process of now we've been through that. She knows I love her unconditionally. Um, she just wept on my chest, everything, mm. you know, mm. um, my wife wasn't as accepting at the time. And so we went through all of that as a family. So with Dax, um, uh, had come out to me as bi early on. And I said, I want to know all your boyfriends, all your girlfriends. I love you unconditionally. Mm. You know, this is important to me. I don't want any part of your life kept from me. And so it took him a little while to warm up to that. And then uh, he had a stint in a mental hospital where he was struggling with um, suicidal ideation and, and other mm -hmm. issues because he had been like so closed off all of his life. Mm -hmm. And I noticed him with all the um, trans kids that were in the hospital day after day. I visited him every day mm -hmm. for two weeks and I saw how much he loved them. And he lit up when he saw these trans kids and how he cared for them. And so I pulled him aside and I said that, I said, uh, Joy, I said, uh, I think I understand what's going on with you. I think I understand that you, you, you are, you want, you're a boy. And this is probably one of the greatest issues that you're struggling with right now. And I can see you, you've been telling us since you were four years old that you were a boy and we just kind of sloughed it off like parents do. Oh, no, you're not a boy. You're not a boy. I said, is that the issue? And he said, yeah, dad, that's the issue. I'm, I'm a, I, I want to be a boy. And I said, you're my son right in that moment. It wasn't all the oh, dad jokes and stuff. Know. That's just how you tell stories. It was, you're not, you don't have to live up to my standards. Mm -hmm. You don't have to impress me. You don't have to, I'm not living vicariously through you. Your story is your story. My story is my story. Mm -hmm. And so I support Amen. you. If you want to be a boy, let's go. We, I, I had seen a TikTok about buying binders for um, kids that were going through this. I said, let's, we got on Amazon. I bought two binders right away. You want to shave your head? Boom. The next day shaved his head. As soon as he got out of the hospital, short hair, Daxon, this is my son from that day forward for the rest oh, of his that life. That is beautiful. I oh, wish I had a dad like you. I, I, I have so many things on my mind. First yeah. of all, AJ, you're crying. I'm not crying. Yeah, okay. I, I'm. Yeah, I'm, I'm finding back yeah. tears right now. I have chill. I'm chills all over yeah. my body. But yeah. and, and, and Paul, you just said so many things that I admire. Okay, I love your take on how religion has sort of conveniently forgotten the tenets of the religion, inclusivity mm -hmm. of what Jesus taught, you know, and, and I see it, look, I see it happen all the time, but I also see religious people that do walk the walk, right? Uh, that are inclusive, that it's like, we're all children of God to be able to see people regardless of whatever, um, sexuality, you know, how they identify they're children of God, no better, no worse than any of us here right That's now. Right. So, I love the fact that you do that. Second thing, I've already touched on this, but for me, it's so important to have examples, people like you, yeah. that you're obviously, again, we shouldn't stereotype, but you definitely look like you could hold your own in a bar fight. You know what I mean? And, <laughs> <That's> and <right. laughs> you know, you, you look like you'd have no problem when all hell breaks loose 
you know, you'll be fine. Uh, but to hear these beautiful, touching sentiments coming from you is helping the world make a better place. I, it, it, you're not, you're everything I hoped you would be in listening mm. to you talk. And there's no way you could not have been given. It's so genuine. You can feel it. The clip that you saw, I mean, that I saw, I'm so glad you came on. You know, for me, my question to you is, the only way I ever got to a place where I could forgive people or accept people, it was when I had to learn to forgive myself, yes. to, right. to, to not beat myself up anymore. Because when I was still in a lot of pain, I could inflict pain. I could be right. less tolerant. So do you believe that your, you crashing and burning and hip, hitting rock bottom is what led you to be able to be the kind of man you are today. Absolutely. And the other thing was, is that, you know, the bias that you're taught, you have an opportunity to either reject that bias or accept that bias. Right. And so as I was being taught bias about how homosexuals were these terrible people and they were all hypersexual and they were all this and that, I met some amazing homosexuals that were brilliant. They mm -hmm. were um, more in tune with their own life than I was with mine. They weren't right. running around having sex with everybody. They really wanted to have a partner and meet somebody that was important to them and be have one partner the rest of their life. True. And, and at that time in my life, they were better than nine out of ten of the Christians that I knew. Mm -hmm. I right. mean, everybody has a bunch of excuses for their own behavior and a bunch of judgment for everybody else's. Mm -hmm. And so I was always observing, always observing and then learning and learning and studying. And then I spent 10 years studying four or five days a week um, interpreting the Bible from Greek and Hebrew wow. And, wow. and really doing a study on the love of God. And I started to write a book on the love of God from the, Jesus's perspective, not the church's perspective. Mm. And I got really um, broken when I started reaching out to other churches to try to do things that were unified and they wouldn't unify because we didn't speak in tongues right or we did or we didn't do this thing or we did or we believed in this or we had women in leadership and on my board, I had Hispanic people, I had uh, black people, I had women, I had women preachers that I promoted. Mm -hmm. So we were doing a lot of things in the face of what, you know, but what modern religion says, you know, women shouldn't be leaders and all this stuff they shouldn't preach. We had women preachers. We had a very diversified board and we had a very diversified church that looked like our community. And, but that was so rare. Right. And, mm -hmm. and it just broke my heart that Everybody was trying to guard their little piece of the pie instead of realizing that we're all one big pie. There's right. no pie totally. to guard. Right. Where do, you, know, where do you say, are you stealing my sheep? I said, I don't have any sheep. These are Jesus's sheep. Yeah. If they want to go to your church, as long as they're in church and, you know, growing as people, I don't care where they go. Right. It was Did just you... so petty. Everything was so petty. And so I really wanted to get outside of that so I could begin to do things that really showed my heart and what I wanted to do. And it's just a, a bizarre to me that it ended up being on TikTok. Really. That's <laughs> hey, great. Well. Did you ever publish the book? No. You uh, have to I'm, publish I'm it. A, I'm a certified life coach. I have a um, life coaching manual that I wrote, co-wrote with a friend of mine. That's amazing. And um, I just got really um, discouraged, I guess. And then I went through a lot yeah. of marital problems, you know, with all the things that were going on with our kids and stuff. And so I just kind of got stuck and took a break from all of that. And uh, Would you May, want to publish it? I'm still working on it. I, I, I think I'm writing chapters of it right now as we're talking. Okay. I mean, nice. It's, just, um, it's a, it was, 
first of all, like this thing that's blown up that we're talking about yep. this thing I did with Dax, it blows my mind mm-hmm. that it's, it's unusual to accept and love your children. Yes, what especially kind of, no, in What California. kind of culture do we have? What is I, well, you know, and it's only it's people only don't know. Worse. They just don't know. It's, They're not educated Yeah, it's about only it. gotten worse. And you know, I, it's funny that you say that. You know, it's not funny, but my my mom is a, is a certified life coach, and <laughs> I'm and I'm from Florida, so we have a lot of things. Oh, wow. in yeah. common. Um, I'm from the southern tip of Florida, uh, but you know, question for you that is, you know, what advice if you have. Um, for anyone that might be struggling out there to confront their mom and dad about being transgender, because I know that there's lots of people out there, young men and young Mm -hmm. women that are terrified because again, of just how society has Mm -hmm. derailed stigmatized (laughs) and totally stigmatized. So what, what would be your advice to parents and vice versa advice for parents as well well. yeah for the parents because i can't really know what it's like for a kid to be terrified to come out um i just know what my kids went through and Mm -hmm. i feel like i'm a pretty decent guy like i'm not overreactive or whatever it might be i've always been one to accept and try to work with people regardless of their backgrounds and um, i've taught my children they know that my theology is is that god is love love everyone love people unconditionally. My kids grew up with that. They feel that they get in trouble sometimes because they love everybody. I mean, everybody. (laughs) But my advice to parents is, it's your kid, right? You literally created them at a moment of passion with somebody in that moment you wanted to be with in such an intimate way. You were naked, you were vulnerable, and you created this human being from your love or your lust or your passion. And they're a part of you. Your DNA is in them. And what I really think that when people reject their children, I feel like they're rejecting a part of themselves. Absolutely. Like yeah. they see something that they don't like in themselves. And because they can't deal with that, and because they have unforgiveness and hatefulness and hatred towards themselves, they finally have someone that they can place it yeah, on and turn their back on them. I see that. And that's the way I see it psychologically. And so I would tell people, you know, find that part of yourself, forgive yourself. Love yourself. You haven't done anything wrong to have children that are different. This child is not you. This child has their own journey and love them through their journey. Here's what I tell people all the time, because I deal with a lot of religions with responses to this. People say, well, they're they're going to hell. If you really believe that person's going to hell, why not create heaven on earth for them now? Right. They're never going to experience heaven in the afterlife. Give them heaven now. Why be an agent of Satan? Give them hell on earth and be one of the accusers and one of the voices that destroy them. Why not give them heaven on earth? Why not love them so unconditionally they won't want to die because they won't want to get away from you? And show them the eternal love of a God that loves you unconditionally. Yep. Show them, because I believe when, when, I believe that the Bible says, you know, I'm not a religious person anymore, so don't don't get me twisted on this one. (laughs) But what I do believe that I've learned from the scriptures is, is that God will never leave you nor forsake you. Right. And that Jesus and Romans, where we use Romans to go against, um, you know, you know, gays and transgenders and all this. Romans wasn't a book written in chapters. It was one long letter to Rome. And Paul was doing a, a giving a message that was supposed to win people to God and not turn people against one another. Right. It was an evangelistic message to, to, to make everybody look like they could never be possibly go to heaven. 
He attacked the rich. He attacked the religious, pious people. He attacked people who were sexually immoral. Paul attacked everybody and then gives them this, this, this answer. He says, how can you be saved then? And he mm -hmm. says, Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. But he tells them, Jesus is the second Adam, that through Adam, we all sin. So we're all born into sin. And since Jesus died on the cross, now we're all born into salvation. And that's a message people don't even want to touch. No. <laughs> what I'm getting at is if you really believe what the scriptures say, then Jesus came that all people might be saved. John 3.17 says that Jesus came into the world not to condemn the world, but that through him, the world might be saved. So Jesus teaches us not to condemn people because they're already condemned. He came into the world to save them. So let's give them heaven on earth right now and see if we couldn't persuade them that there's a loving God out there that might accept them as well. Wow. You, you know, know, you just made this really easy for me to understand. I was raised Catholic um, and I would say I'm more now spiritual than anything. Right. Um, but like to to hear this side and um, it is eye opening. I'm just like, you know, to even read. I would never read the Bible. It's just very overwhelming, um, I, nor do I understand what I'm reading, really. But like you need to publish this book. <laughs> Yeah. It really she, is. It, she's going to keep going back to that, bro. I'm going to publish it, it myself. I totally agree. <laughs> um, you know, uh, un sadly, we are out of time. But before we let you go, is there anything that you want to say to the LGBT community um, as well as uh, any final messages before you go to say to your kids uh, mm -hmm. just about how much of an awesome freaking dad you are? So mm -hmm. take it away, Paul. Uh, to the LGBTQ community, I'd like to apologize for how um, religious people have turned their backs on you and made you lepers and called you unclean and really picked on you and thrown stones at you, even though they're in sin. I just personally would like to apologize and tell you that I love you and that there's a lot of people who don't feel that way, who know that that's not true and that there is a God that loves you and that you're created in his image. And that no matter what your particular flavor of life and your choices are, that um, you're valid and everything you feel is valid and that you should be able to be loved and to love without anybody's opinion or advice. Paul, you are a rock star. Yeah, Amazing. you are a rock star. AJ claims to be one, you know, because he <laughs> toured the world. Hey doing hey, songs yeah. on stage, hey. but you are a rock star. We need more of Magical. you. Yes. Don't, don't stop your posts. Like keep I'm spreading you, the message. Keep spreading. Yeah. It, it, there's something especially powerful coming from you because you do, like I said, seem to be someone that would not be saying these things. Totally. And I know that's my own prejudices. You know, we, we, we see it on, 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 um, the, you know, the big, Paul Bunyan looking tough guy that can kick anyone's ass. But you doing this, I think will allow other people yeah. that maybe feel they have to put up this tough exterior mm -hmm. and then keep spreading the, the, the wrong kind yeah. of yep. message. You have to continue leading with example. Like you are, it's just yeah. amazing. Yep. And if anybody wants a kick-ass daily dose of love, tolerance, <laughs> acceptance, and just, one of the best looking beards out there. <laughs> Go on TikTok and what follow my boy, Viking Tower. Have there you gotten are. proposals? <laughs> Not yet. I bet you, What's if up? you have I'm it, sure you have, have you gotten proposals? Because if you haven't, I'm sure you will. Yeah. Girl, women oh, wanting I'm, to marry you. 
<laughs> well, I'm sure you slip into your DMs. That's another whole podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Thank Paul, so much. for joining Thanks. us, Thanks, man. Guys. Um, and uh, I cannot wait to see yeah. what you post next because totally. I do follow you and you are phenomenal. You're an amazing Are you on father. Instagram as well, Paul? I am. Okay. Yeah. What is your handle? Viking Tower One with the numeral one. Well, you've got fans in us. Yeah, buddy. That's for sure. You're always Thank welcome you so here, much. man. Let's do it again. Thank you. <laughs> Have a great day, Paul. Take care. Bye. Cheers, man. That was awesome. I know, but not Amazing. long enough. God, oh, he's got so much to say, so many questions. Is this, I are we one have of his a, first interviews ever, you think? Um, he's so good. I, he, he seemed to be really excited yeah. about he's, doing it. Yeah. I've been watching more guys like him that you think are going to be a certain way. You're you know, right, though. You know what I mean? There's something extra you know, powerful when you see that, you know, his I, demographic I, I, is going to be boys and young, younger, the younger generation that I don't feel like young boys have a lot of mentors to choose from like young women do. And the ones they do play the, the Tony typical, Robbins type thing. Yeah. Well, well, or they play guys that look like him tend to be, like I said, you know, people tough and don't show their emotions yep. and shut up stop crying pull yourself yep. up by your bootstraps and then that makes the next kids that go well if i want to be a man i have to be yeah you yes. have like, to have this hard exterior he, and have zero emotion he's he's he's, he's gonna alone. change the world watch he yes. will change it one in, one interview at a time yes okay. he's telling people it's okay to look like the tough guy and to be vulnerable yep. and to say things like he as he was talking i'm not kidding you guys i was literally going renee don't start crying <laughs> i know dude I, know. I got i definitely got welled up but um, i was going in my head i was like renee good call like you booked this this was uh, great and, uh, i just i just think we need more of Positivity, him yeah. and we people right. like him you You're know right. it's just it's so inspiring it is well yes yeah. thank you so much to dr saltz thank you to paul um this has been one incredible, very knowledgeable yes. and inspiring episode. But I love this podcast because you go yes. away literally like with so much education and learning yeah. and in a good yes. way, in a cool way. Yes. Thank you guys for tuning in. And as always, hit that subscribe button and give us five stars. And we will see you guys and talk to you next week uh, here on iHeart. Pretty messed up. Stay. Love each other. Bye. Stay positive, y'all. Follow Pretty Messed Up on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse... I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Bean Dad, The Dress. 
30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame starting May 7th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 